Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. I want you to be turning to Luke chapter 9, verse 38. It says, And behold, a man from the multitude shouted out, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only son. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsions with foaming at the mouth, and as it mauls him, it scarcely leaves him. Okay, now I want you to think about the conditions that are being described right here. It says that the spirit seizes him. Evidently, it's painful because he cries out. And then he's thrown into the fire and he's foaming at the mouth. Okay, look then in verse 40. It says, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring your son here. And while he was still approaching, the demon dashed him to the ground, threw him into convulsions, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Now I want you to look at the first part of verse 43. And they were all amazed. Okay, I want you to circle that. They were all amazed at this. Now the casting out of the spirits, it amazed the people. In some of your translations, it says they marveled at what took place. Now we find that over and over throughout the New Testament, it says they were astonished as they watched his authority over the demonic kingdom. Now, why did the casting out of spirits now, why did that cause such a stir among the people? It's because the demonic kingdom now and the authority over the demonic kingdom and the speaking forth the word of God and casting out demons, this was new to the people. This was brand new. Never before had they seen the demonic world. And so they're seeing something very supernatural for the very first time, and it's shocking them. Okay, now I want to back this up in Scripture. I want us to look at a duplicate of all of Jesus' miracles in the Old Testament. Now I want you to think with me. Jesus multiplied the bread, and he multiplied the fish, and he fed 5,000 men, and that didn't even count the women and children. Okay, now do you remember that there was a multiplying of the food in the Old Testament? If you'll remember when Elijah was sent to the widow at Zarephath, in 1 Kings chapter 17, after she fed Elijah during the famine, then verse 16 says that her meal never ran out and her jaw of oil was always full. So we see that Elijah too, now he multiplied the food by the power of God. Now another miracle of Jesus was the fact that he healed the multitudes of all the sicknesses and diseases. Okay, were there healings in the Old Testament? Okay, from the Jewish history, I'm sure that these Jews in Jesus' time, now they remembered the healing of the people like King Hezekiah, they remembered all these healings that they'd read about. Leprosy was a dread disease in the Old as well as the New Testament. Jesus cleansed many lepers, and I'm sure that the people watching that day, they remembered the time when Elisha healed Naaman, the Syrian, in 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Jesus did many things during his earthly ministry that defied nature. If you'll remember, he walked on water, he stilled the storm, and he did that just with a word. Okay, but that too was duplicated in the Old Testament. If you'll remember, Moses, by the power of God, was able to part the Red Sea. And then if you'll remember, Elisha was able to cause the axe head by the power of God to float on the water. And so that too had been duplicated. And then most astonishing of all, Jesus raised people from the dead. If you'll remember, he raised the synagogue official's little daughter, and that was in Matthew 9, verse 18. And then he raised the son of the widow, when they were already carrying the boy out to be buried. That was in Luke 7, verse 11. And then, of course, John 11, verse 43, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, that was not new to the people either. 
because Elijah had raised the son of the widow from Zarephath. He had raised her son by the power of God. And then Elisha had raised the Shunammite son from the dead. So none of these things were new to the people. Okay, what else did Jesus do in the miraculous realm then? He cast out demons. At least half or at least a third to a half of his ministry now was spent casting out demons. But what about deliverance in the Old Testament? Can you think of one example in the Old Testament where they cast out demons? Okay, there's not any example in the Old Testament of casting out demons. Now, don't you think it's interesting that every other miracle that Jesus did, multiplying the food, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, defying nature, all of these had an example of its being done in the Old Testament. Even his taking authority over something as final as death now, that too was duplicated in the Old Testament. And yet, there is not one example of demons being cast out by the power of God in the Old Testament. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever read through the Old Testament and wondered why? Now, certainly there were demons, you know. They didn't just suddenly appear during the time of Jesus. So why is it that there were no demons, no deliverances mentioned in the Old Testament? Now, I believe that there is a very important reason why, and I call this Bible study Satan Hidden. See, Satan was virtually hidden all through the Old Testament. We're going to find that in 4,000 years of biblical recorded history, did you know that there are only three actual accounts where Satan is mentioned by name in the Old Testament? And then there's three symbolic references, six in all. I want to name them. Number one, he was referred to as the serpent in the garden at the fall of man. That was one symbolic reference. And then there's another symbolic reference in Isaiah 14. And another symbolic reference in Ezekiel 28, none of these called him by name, but then there were only three references where he was called by name. If you'll remember in the book of Job, we're told that Satan came to tempt Job and harass him, so he was called by name there, that's one time. And then in 1 Chronicles 21, Satan is called by name there when he tempted David to number the people after God had told David not to number the people. So that's the second time that he's called by name. And then in Zechariah 3, 1 and 2, it refers to Satan by name, describing him as the accuser of Joshua. But don't you think that it's interesting that in 4,000 years of recorded Old Testament Jewish biblical history, clear from the creation, clear till the time of Christ, that there are only six references made to Satan in the Old Testament, and three of them were just symbolic references. And yet in the New Testament, which covers less than about a 100-year period, Satan is mentioned by the name Satan 53 different times. He's mentioned by the word devil. He's called devil 60 times. And demons are mentioned 55 different times. And that's not even counting the times when he's referred to symbolically, like the adversary and the thief and, and the enemy. But 168 times he's mentioned by name, and yet he's referred to only four times in a 4,000-year Old Testament history. Now, there's no Old Testament scriptures that tell the people of God how to do warfare against Satan. You can't find that in the Old Testament. They didn't even know about Satan virtually. They didn't even know about the demonic realm. Now, if we didn't know better, we would think that Satan and all of his demons had just come on the scene around the time of Jesus. But just the moment that Jesus starts his ministry now, he goes everywhere exposing the enemy. He's teaching on practically every page of the Gospels about the enemy and about the one that's causing all the evil and the one that has always caused all the evil. Now, I want you to look at Acts 10, verse 38. This is an interesting scripture. There's a few scriptures that I think it's really important to memorize because there's so much meat in this particular one. Okay, in Acts 10, verse 38, 
It says, you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. I want you to look at all the meat that we have in that one little scripture. Let's us know that God was the one that anointed Jesus. He anointed him with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good. He always did good. And he healed how many? He healed all. He was healing the ones who were being oppressed by whom? Okay. All who were being oppressed by the devil. So he's making it very clear here that oppression comes from Satan. Okay, now I want you to look in Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. Underline that, a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you're freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come during those days and get healed, but not on the Sabbath day. You know, isn't it sad? He's saying, if you want to get healed, well, come on six days. You know, forget coming on the Sabbath. He's not even astonished or excited about what's going on here. But look, the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from the bond on the Sabbath day? Okay, he's making it very clear here where the evil's coming from. He said, whom Satan has had bound all these years. Now, nothing had changed. Old Testament people were oppressed, and every time they were oppressed, they were being oppressed by Satan just as much as they were in the New Testament. They were not being oppressed by God. It's just that God was not ready to reveal the enemy in the Old Testament until the power of Christ now was there so that they would know that they had power over the enemy. See, they didn't have power and authority over the enemy in the Old Testament. They didn't have that until Jesus bought that power back on the cross, until he had the victory on the cross. Now, the main reason that Satan was kept hidden during the Old Testament is because the only protection that these Old Testament people had from Satan and from his evil forces now was staying totally under the protection of the law. That's the only protection that they had. See, God had given the authority in this earth. He had given it over to Adam. At that time, Adam was the ruler of this world. But see, when Adam yielded now to Satan and when he sinned, then what he did, he handed over that power and authority to the enemy. In fact, he gave all of his authority to the enemy, thus making Satan the god of this world. And that power now had not been overcome in the Old Testament times because Christ had not yet gone to the cross. So they didn't have power over the enemy. Now, obedience to the law, that was the only thing in that day and time that gave them protection until the blood of the cross. And then, in the fullness of time when Christ came, then that's when Jesus revealed about the enemy on every page of the New Testament. You can't go through the New Testament without finding something about the enemy. And we find that not only Jesus taught about the enemy and taught about how we can become an overcomer, but we find that all the New Testament writers now, they gave continuous warnings about the enemy. It's all through the New Testament. If you remember, Paul was saying, don't be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. I want you to look at 1 Peter. I want you to see how strong Peter was when he was talking about the enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 8, Peter says, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. He's saying, be watchful. 
watch out for the enemy. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He said, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So he's saying, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, not God, but your adversary is roaming about like a roaring lion and he's seeking someone to devour. Okay, now where the enemy was not even mentioned in the Old Testament, now he's being talked about on every page. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives a long discourse on how our fight's not against flesh and blood. And in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Okay, now verse 10 tells us why God waited until the New Testament to give us this information because the only way we could be strong is going to be in the Lord. And he knew that. And so after Christ came, then we could be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. That's when we could put on the full armor. And then Paul says, for our struggle in verse 12 is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, it's against powers, it's against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Okay, he's letting us know our fight's not against flesh and blood. He's also letting us know our fight's not against God. He's describing the armor that we have to put on to be able to war against the enemy. He's telling us how to do that warfare. Okay, now with this much demonic activity described in the New Testament, don't you suppose that Satan did a lot more than just bother people the four times that are mentioned in the Old Testament? Certainly he did. But it's no wonder now that the New Testament says that the people were astonished and it's no wonder that the Bible tells us that they were marveled when Jesus cast out the demons because this was brand new to them. They'd never heard of it before. Now, the Bible is the inspired word of God. And it's not that the Old Testament writers just happened to forget to mention Satan in the Old Testament. He was always alive and well on planet Earth. But there was a very definite reason now why the people of the Old Testament knew so little about him. I want you to follow with me because we have to understand what I'm teaching today in order to understand the character of God. See, we have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt where evil is coming from because Satan's biggest deception now is to try to make people think that it's God that's either sending or allowing bad things to come. And the moment that we receive that kind of belief, then we're going to open ourselves up to every single thing that the enemy has to offer. See, when we read scriptures like God sent a plague in the Old Testament or God killed Uzzah, and if we don't know the truth about what we're talking about today, then we're going to find out that we're going to open ourselves up to every deception that the enemy has. Now, I want you to follow with me because God progressively revealed himself to the people in the Old Testament. He progressively, that means a little at the time, he revealed a little more of himself and a little more of himself. Gradually then through the years, he would reveal his character through different covenants, through different covenant names. See, first they understood that he was the one true God. All the other nations, they had multiple gods that they worshiped, but God first taught them that he was the one true God. And so the Jews served the one true God. 
And as that revelation progressed, then they began to realize that he had a son. And prophets began to declare a suffering servant and a reigning king. And it was only after a progression of time and as that revelation unfolded that they could understand both the servant and the king and see that there was not a contradiction there. They didn't contradict each other. But that took time for them to be able to understand that. And it was only after Jesus came now that the people had a perfect idea of who God was revealed in his son. But it was only in Christ Jesus. Then in time we find that Jesus revealed a little more. He said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. But he said, I'm going to leave you a helper. As Jesus went back to be with the Father, that's when he started introducing the Holy Spirit as a person. See, they had never understood the Holy Spirit as a person before. Now, do you see how it was a very gradual progression and a revelation of the Trinity down through the years? See, what had been hinted at in the Old Testament was now clearly being revealed to the Jews who had always understood God as one God. And now they were realizing that God was Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three perfectly united in one. And that was a big step for them in their theology. Gradually through the years, they had been able to understand a little bit more and a little bit more about God. See, they had seen through a glass darkly, but with each new revelation now, the picture was becoming clearer and clearer until the final and the perfect revelation of God in Christ Jesus. And that's why Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us Jesus was the exact replica of the Father. Now, if you want to know what the Father's like, you have to look at Jesus because so many people will go to the Old Testament and they get a distorted view of God because they only had a portion of the revelation because that revelation wasn't complete until Christ Jesus. It reminded me of several years ago I'd heard about the three blind men that were trying to describe the elephant. And one of the blind men had grabbed hold of the ear. And so as he described the elephant, he was describing the ear that he was holding onto. And another one had the trunk, and he was describing the trunk. And the other blind man was holding the bulk of the elephant, and he was describing that. Well, they were each right. They each had a portion of the truth, but it wasn't the total truth. And that's what was happening in the Old Testament. They each had a partial truth, a portion of the truth. But it was the final revelation in Jesus Christ that gave us the perfect picture of the Father. Now, I want you to follow with me because by the same token now, God also was revealing very, very gradually, very slowly through the years, the truth about Satan. And it wasn't until Jesus now began demonstrating God's power and preaching about the truth of God's word that Satan was finally uncovered completely and revealed in the New Testament. See, up until then, like I said earlier, Satan was virtually hidden. Now, I want you to think about it. Just like the Holy Spirit's deeds were obvious in the Old Testament, well, you could see the power of the Holy Spirit all through the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit himself as a person was really not revealed now until Jesus came and began to reveal him as a person. Okay, in the same way, you could see the deeds of the enemy all through the ages. The deeds of Satan were obvious down through the ages, but it was a well-kept secret for the most part now where the evil was coming from until the New Testament. Now, they could see the evil, but they weren't taught who it was coming from because they were powerless at that time against the enemy. Now, several years ago, the head of the theology department at the university made this comment, and I'm going to read it to you. He said, The Old Testament people only knew one power. Therefore, all supernatural happenings were attributed to God. And that's true. I want you to hear this. 
The Old Testament people only knew one power, he said. Therefore, all supernatural happenings were attributed to God. In other words, if it was supernaturally good, they gave God credit. If it was supernaturally evil, they still gave God credit. And that's why God then, for the most part, was given credit for the evil that was recorded in the Old Testament. And that's why you'll read in the Old Testament, it'll say God sent a plague or God did this. Okay, now I want to read you some direct quotes from the Nelson Bible Dictionary because we have to understand this truth. Or I tell you what, we'll be off in our understanding of God. We won't understand the character of God. Nelson said, because the Jews believed God's power was unlimited, the Old Testament contains little information about demons. In the Old Testament, they did not have the full revelation of how when man sinned, his authority was given over to the enemy. The primitive status of the understanding of demons during that time is perhaps reflected in the way that the Old Testament relates the fallen angels to God. So if you want to do a word study now on demons in the Old Testament, you're not going to find any examples to study unless you realize what Nelson was saying here. He was saying that every time an evil spirit was mentioned in the Old Testament, the Old Testament writer attributed everything that that spirit did to God. And the reason they gave God a credit for sending the evil spirit was because they related everything that was supernatural over to God. So naturally now, these supernatural demons were said to have been sent by God. And so then Nelson went on to say that these were not God's angels, these were fallen angels. And here's the example that Nelson gave in the Bible Dictionary. He said, when it said an evil spirit from God was sent to torment Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 15, he said that's an example now of God's being given credit for some evil that Satan did. And Nelson also used 1 Kings 22:21 as an example when he said a lying spirit was sent from God. Nelson said those were not from God, those were fallen angels, they were not God's angels. And he said these instances were attributed to God because at one time they had been God's angels, but they had fallen so they were no longer from God. See, Satan was hidden in the Old Testament for a reason. And God was given credit for the evil, but the reason is because they had no power against the enemy at that time. But see, Jesus made it crystal clear when he came he could not have made it more clear when he said the thief is the one who came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said God has come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And he was revealing the character of God right there. Now, I want you to look in John 1:17. This is a beautiful scripture. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Now your translation may say it a little bit differently, but if you'll look it up in the Greek, you'll find that this is a true statement here. In John 1 verse 17, it says the law was given through Moses. So he's saying the Old Testament law, that God revealed that to Moses and it was given by Moses. But he said grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Okay, it's letting us know right here that Jesus came to explain the Father and to reveal the truth. In verse 17, he came, grace and truth were realized through Jesus. In verse 18, it was Jesus who came to explain the Father. So you need to put that out in the margin of your Bible. This verse lets us know that he came with explanation and he came with revelation. An explanation of the truth and a revelation of the Father. Okay, I want you to look in Matthew 12, verse 24. Matthew 12, 24. 
Now this scripture can really help us in our theology. In fact, if we get an understanding of what Jesus is saying right here, we're gonna be able to separate the two forever. We're gonna be able to separate the evil from the good. Okay, verse 24. And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them. Now circle verse 25 and 26 here. He said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself is not going to be able to stand. He said, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? Okay, he's saying a house divided can't stand. And he said, if Satan is the one casting out demon spirits, then his kingdom's gonna fall. Okay, by the same token then, neither was it God's plan to use Satan's evil forces now as a means to accomplish his work. Because if he had, by his own words, it would have been a house divided. See, these two kingdoms don't mix. Now the Old Testament helps us to understand that evil is evil and light is light. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. And we can never mix the two in our theology. If we do, it'll put us into deception. See, darkness can't live in light. And God does not use Satan's darkness. He doesn't use Satan's evil deeds to further his kingdom of light. Now our God is much too small in our thinking if we think that he has to use Satan to accomplish his purposes. Now, some people think that God uses Satan to tempt us and to test us so that we'll finally break and decide to go God's way. Well, the reason we think that is because there are times when people have been tested and tried and tempted and they finally do break and they finally do go God's way. But God wasn't using Satan to bring that about. See, just as many people have fallen for temptation and they've fallen away from God. The Bible very plainly teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit now that God sent to convict us of sin and to draw us to himself. And it very plainly teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit, it's not Satan. Now in Romans 2 verse 4, that's a good scripture that you need to mark in your Bible later. It says God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. See, there's not any place in the New Testament where you're gonna find that the Bible says that God uses Satan to lead somebody to repentance. He sent his kindness. He sent his Holy Spirit. And God's bigger than that. He's not limited by having to use Satan's power to accomplish his will. Now, when we give God credit for sending the evil or when we believe God is allowing the evil in his permissive will to accomplish his purposes, then that's a slap in God's face. And it doesn't line up with the word of God. It's not any part of his divine plan. See, man is the one who opened the door to darkness. And we did that through sowing and reaping. And sometimes it was somebody up the bloodline that opened the door through the sowing and reaping. They sowed evil and evil came back in. And sometimes that's what's brought a curse on a family line. But it's God's mercy now that's made a way back out of our rebellion. And because of his mercy and because he loves us, then he will take what was meant for evil and he will turn that around and he'll weave good out of it. But he does that out of his mercy. He does that because he loves us, not because that evil was a part of his permissive will. Now, everything that Satan does is totally outside of God's will, everything. And we have to understand that or we're going to open the door to the destruction of the enemy. But everything that Satan does is totally outside of God's will. And that was demonstrated when God kicked Lucifer out of heaven when he sinned. He didn't keep him around and say, well, he sinned, but I'm going to keep him around to do part of the work that I needed him to do. No. That was demonstrated in God's reaction to Satan in the garden. It was demonstrated in his defeat of Satan on the cross. And then it's going to be demonstrated again in his destruction of Satan in the end. 
See, God threw the evil out. Now, God, in his loving kindness, he rescues us and he helps us out of our wrongdoing when we repent. But then too often, what happens? Too often, Christians show their appreciation by blaming God with sending the evil or accusing him of giving permission for it to come in in the first place. And, and that is an abomination. Now, the kind of theology that says that God doesn't send the evil, but he permits it and uses Satan then to do his dirty work. That's like comparing God to an evil businessman who wanted his associate killed. For example, let's say the businessman feels that it's beneath his dignity now to do it himself. So what he does, he goes out and he hires a mafia hitman to do the evil. And then he doesn't feel guilty because he's gotten somebody else to actually pull the trigger. Well, it's the same principle with God and Satan. You know, God's not using Satan to pull the trigger. He doesn't work that way. Now, you can be sure from the teachings in the New Testament that these two kingdoms never mix. Satan never uses God, and God never uses the enemy. And light and dark don't mix. Now, I want you to look at Luke 9, verse 51, because this is such a clear example in the Word of God. In Luke 9, verse 51, it came about that when the days were approaching for Jesus' ascension, that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of Samaritans to make arrangements for him. And they didn't receive him because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw that these Samaritans were not accepting Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them and he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, it sounded okay when we read that they called down fire. But I want you to notice here that Jesus is pointing out that to want to call down fire, that that was coming from a wrong spirit. You know, Jesus taught very clearly that it was the thief that was killing and that was going to steal from us and destroy. And then he says in verse 56, look at it again. He said, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He said, I'm the one that brings life. I'm not the one bringing death. Now, some people seem to think that God changed characters between the Old and New Testament, but he didn't. The Bible teaches very clearly, I, the Lord God, changed not. And in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So God has not changed. But what has happened, man's understanding of God and his revelation of God has changed. Now, this is as far as we're going to be able to go today. But we're going to start next week, and we're going to continue on in this study of the true character of God. And I want us to look in the Old Testament, and I want us to see that even though Satan is hidden in the Old Testament, if we look deeply in between the lines, we're going to see where it truly was the enemy that was doing the evil that God was being accused of. Father, we thank you that you are revealing more and more to us as time goes on. You're revealing more and more of your character. Father, I thank you that you are good. Lord, we cannot even conceive of how good you are. Lord, because we cannot understand that, then in our finite mind, Lord, we come up with ideas of our own. But Lord, help us not to do Help us, Lord, to look at, at what you've revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Help us to see what Christ is saying. And help us to understand you in a newer and deeper way than we've ever understood you before. Help us to understand your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.